Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and today is Friday, July 6, 2012, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Her name is Heidi Grant Halverson, and she has uh, those miraculous letters at the back end that tells me that she went to school for a long time. (laughs) She is a Ph.D., And she has written a book called Succeed, How We Can Reach Our Goals. And Heidi and I were just talking about uh, really who she wrote this book for and and, uh, how all of us uh, can stand a little bit more success success in our lives. Heidi, why don't you just give us a little bit of a thumbnail of your background? Sure. I'm happy to. I uh, am actually a research psychologist by training. I'm a social psychologist, uh, and, and the area that I have studied for most of my adult life is is really motivation and achievement, trying to understand what makes some people successful when they try to reach a goal and others not. And, and, the, and one of the reasons I've always found this area so intriguing is that the answers are really often very counterintuitive and, and, and surprising. The way most of us sort of think about successful people and and the way we think about ourselves when we've been successful or when, we, when we've had difficulty and when we failed, the way we explain success to ourselves is often is often quite wrong and and so so it's interesting to take sort of a you know what I do on a day to day basis is try to kind of take a more objective view and 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 you know look at fifty people a hundred people all trying to achieve the same goal, whether it's to get a promotion at work or or to to lose twenty pounds or to have a successful relationship, and then kind of look at them over time and say, "All right, well, you know who succeeds." Who has difficulty, and how, and what are the differences? You know, and uh, and so I, I spent most of my career as a professor doing research, and recent when I decided to write the book, succeed, it was kind of born out of a frustration that you know we have about thirty or forty years of research on motivation that's really remarkable that where we have been able to discover so many things about what the real pitfalls are of goal pursuit. You know, what really derails us and also what are the solutions? What are the right. what are the strategies that work uh to overcome some of the problems we have when we're trying to reach a goal. You know, to to, to for example to resist temptation more effectively or to, to make plans that actually work. Uh, so, so we have about 30 or 40 years of research on this. And when I went to graduate school, I went to Columbia in New York, and I was amazed at, you know, as I'm reading all of this stuff for to get background on, on and on my own research, I was just amazed at, at, you know, how many, how, how much great information was sort of kind of stuck in these old academic <laughs> journals that, you know, frankly, nobody nobody enjoys reading these. And, and you know, even right. academics think that the language is horribly boring and dry and esoteric. So so I was so frustrated that, you know, I, you know, I wished I had known a, a lot of these things when, when I was younger. And, and I was just thinking, I, and I, it's kind of been in the back of my mind for a long time, I'd really love to write a book that sort of explained in English, in plain language, uh, that people could understand without having, you know, an advanced degree and, 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 and know all this jargon, you know, what we've come to understand about how goals work, 
um, right. how the brain works with respect to our goals and how we can kind of, you know, take advantage of that knowledge, what kinds of strategies are effective, what kinds of strategies aren't. We've learned so much. And at first I thought, you know, I really set out when I sold the book, I, I, I thought I thought of it as a book for, for primarily for teachers and parents. My main area has always been sort mm-hmm. of uh, understanding classroom achievement. But but then I realized as I was writing it, you know, you know that's, that's very important. But frankly, all of us really could use some advice about how to be a little bit more successful. And, you know, in some area of our lives, it's usually more than one, you know, we wish we could kind of get a better handle on things. Um, so, so I really wrote the book as a way to kind of communicate what what I think is this incredible body of knowledge to people who could really use it. And and, and, and at the end of the day, I think that's that's really you know pretty much everybody. Right. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's so funny because uh, I I always like to share with our listeners, particularly those who are uh, you know listening to us on iTunes and are out for a walk or are driving and and don't have the benefit of having your website up in front of them or or even, uh, you know, taking a look at the table of contents of the book. Um, The framework of this book is so dead simple, okay, (laughs) and and almost so simple that you think, how can it be this simple? But it is. So part one, part two, part three of this book is get ready, get set, and go. But, you know, so (laughs) many of us, particularly the high achievers, we are so ready to go that we don't take that time to get ready and get set. And and Patty, our, our producer, and I were uh, talking with a friend yesterday, and and you know she's grappling with a number of things in her life, and and a- after Patty left, you know she was saying, well, you know I need to just go do this, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, and, and sure. so you have to get back to that place where you are actually ready to change, ready to move, ready absolutely to get and you, going. So and, the and very you know, first question yeah. is, do you know where you're going? <laughs> Right. I mean, it's it's that simple. I think it really is that simple that 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 so many times we we think we've set goals for goals for ourselves, but but you know, but the question I ask in the book is, well, have you really? Right. I mean, there's a difference between wanting something to happen and actually setting it a goal for yourself to make it happen, and and that sounds like it's just sort of a a difference in language, but but it's actually a difference your brain treats those two kinds of things very differently. It it actually treats wishes, of which we all have, you know, loads of, very differently than actual goals. And there are, are, are literally systems in the brain that don't become active unless you have decided to make something an actual goal for yourself to achieve. Not that you, you know, would like it if this would happen, but that you actually are going to make it happen. And and one of the things, the reason that's so important to actually take that step and really think about not just saying, I wish I was more successful, I wish I had a great relationship, I wish I was thinner, those are just wishes, you know, but, right. but a goal is I want to get this particular type of position by this time or i you know this is specifically what i want to improve in my relationship or or you know i want to lose this much weight by this right. day right so and and so then when you when you tr- begin to treat something as a goal then you actually are taking advantage you know one of the jokes i make in the book but it's not really a joke is that you know if your if your brain your brain is a, is the most sophisticated computer ever in existence and and if your brain's processing power is like a NASA supercomputer, then the amount that you're aware of at any moment in time, you could fit on a Post-it note. 
I mean, it's <laughs> it's that different in terms of sort of what what we're conscious of doing right. and what's actually going on. And one of the things that's so important about really actually setting goals for yourself is that you start to bring in some of those largely unconscious systems that work really well and really effectively. You know, we 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 do a lot of things to reach our goals without even realize we're realizing we're doing them. And you kind of want to. One of the things I talk about in the book is sort of harnessing that processing power. Get your brain working for you. You know, looking for opportunities to act on your goal doing what it needs to do, putting in the effort. And then you do you, none of those systems sort of come online, so to speak, without right. really saying this is an actual, this is not just a wish. This is not just something I would like to happen. Oh. I'm making this a goal. And so, so that's sort of a first step. And then, then there's an additional, in the first part of the book, you know, additional ways of thinking about your goal that are, are pr- sometimes productive and sometimes not productive. There's ways of, of sort of preparing for that journey. Um, things to think about and, and things to avoid. And again, often, you know, our, you were talking about, you know, even very successful people um, sometimes just want to go. And, and, and one of the things that I found very interesting in doing, in doing my own research and in reading, you know, all the, all the other research on motivation is that people are remarkable, even very successful people are remarkably bad at understanding why they've been successful in the past. It's, I mean, it's, they're actually no better than anybody else. And, and so, you know, in the, in sort of, if, you, if you're interested in, in kind of self-help and motivation and how to reach your goals and you go to the library, what you find is generally, um, a lot of, uh, you know, pe- people who are success stories writing books about why I was so successful, you know, captains of industry and so forth, saying, you know, here's my story. And while I think there might be some, might be quite a bit that's informative about that, um, you know, they're not necessarily right <laughs> about, you know, when right. Jack Wells gets up and says, this is what made me a successful CEO, maybe, <laughs> but but there's a good chance that that actually not you know that you did those things, but that wasn't what made you successful. And and a lot of times we just we don't have good intuitions about about it. So so then we wonder. We sit there and we say, well, how can I be so successful in this area of my life and so not successful in this other area? You know, why is it that I'm incredibly good at you know uh, uh, resisting temptation and avoid and avoiding procrastinating and what comes to my job, but in my house. Everything's a mess, and I can't stop myself from eating cookies. You know, and we we all have those paradoxes of of sort of saying, you know, you know, why can I, why do I nail it over here, and then I'm I'm having trouble over here, and and it's because we can't figure out, you know, what it, it's not it's not clear uh, what we're doing right. Sometimes we do the right things intuitively, and then we we don't know what they were. <laughs> so right. well, you've you've used several references that have to, have to do with weight, and that's one that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Oh. And again, in this conversation yesterday, uh, and chapter two of the book is, do you know where your goals come from? And Mm -hmm. recently I have, I mean, you know, I've done what everybody has done. I've joined the health club. I've joined Weight Watchers. You know, I mean, I've done all of those things. But I'm still sitting on the couch watching TV all the time. Well, now now I've made that more productive because now I'm watching Extreme Weight Loss Makeover Edition, (laughs) you know, or whatever the the name of that, that show is. And uh, we were talking yesterday about how, you know, anybody can look at you and say, you know, you really could use to lose some weight. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and if the goal is coming from criticism or someone not liking the way we are, it is very difficult for that to Absolutely. actually produce action. And, and so really knowing where your goals come from and, and having it be from inside out 
and not mm-hmm. outside in. I think you know that is again a very fundamental concept about getting ready. Who are you doing it for? Absolutely. Um, and how are you? Yeah. And how are you thinking? How do you explain? You know, one of the things that turns out to to be really um, difficult for 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 many of us is. Um, Americans in particular, although people in, in, in many societies in general, but nowhere so more than American Americans. Um, we when we think about success and failure, whether it's whether it's our jobs or, or it's weight loss or um or, or it's our relationships, we, we tend to think about uh we when we see successful people we, we, we think that that's about ability. Right? We're, we're, in our culture, we, we sort of we look at somebody who's very successful and we say, wow, that person is smart. They're talented. Uh, right. Oh, they're so creative. They, oh, they have so much willpower. And we think about these things, these, these abilities, as largely, you know, innate, you know, sort of like you won the right. DNA lottery or you didn't. And so you got willpower or you didn't. Or you got, you know, you're smart or you're not. Or you're, you're right. socially skilled or you're not. Um, the problem with that is when, you know, yes, it feels great to say, oh, I did this well because I'm so smart, but the flip side of it is terrible, right? You know, and, and if I hear another person say, I'm just not a math person, I think my head is going to explode because there's no such thing as a math person. And the problem is we don't realize this, you know, that abilities don't work that way. We now have, again, decades of research that show that not only is the genetic contribution to ability um, remarkably small, uh, and and it, it's also profoundly malleable. So experience matters, practice right. matters, effort right. matters far more than than uh, than you know. There's an interesting study um, that the friend of mine did uh, a year or so ago, showing that that uh, that self control is a better predictor than IQ of of uh, high school grades, of SAT scores, of GRE scores. Of so, I mean, it, so it turns out you know it's sort of like the, what you do matters so much more than than sort of what your what your ability is at that moment and i and i think i think we do ourselves a huge disservice most of the people who who kind of give up on themselves um they give up on themselves because they just feel like i'm lacking in whatever that thing is that makes people successful at this and 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 that's also very true with weight there's a there was an interesting study that came out about 6 months ago showing that that people who believe that you know some people can lose weight and others can't you know that that there's something that skinny people have <laughs> that the rest of us don't um they're the ones that actually tend to have to do the most sort of yo-yo dieting and and they give up on themselves they fall off they fall off the wagon and they stay off the wagon um right. whereas people who believe that actually it's it's really about effort and it's persistence and these are you have to and get these off are the couch to get on yeah. the wagon before you can yeah. but you know it's about but then you know then it becomes about you know the other thing that we do uh, is is really rely too much on willpower. And later in the book, I talk a lot about. It. So the first part of the book is sort of where do your goals come from? Right. What? How do goals work? How do you set them? And then you know later I talk about. So okay, if it's not, and I and I talk a lot in the beginning of the book about how if you have been like most of us, explaining your successes and failures in terms of ability. So I'm good at that because I have ability X, but I'm not good at that because I lack ability right. Y. Then you're wrong. Um, in two important ways. One is that abilities don't work that way. It's not that you have it or you don't. Um, and and second, and 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 abilities grow with practice and effort. And the second mm-hmm. thing is that a lot of time ability has nothing to do with it. You're just not using the right strategies. Um, you can have all the ability in the world, and if you don't use the right strategies to reach your goal, that ability isn't going to help you. 
And and so the second so liberating. I've I've got to tell you, it 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 is incredibly liberating. So that's what I thought. You talked a lot initially about about the goals and and if you know where mm-hmm. you're going that that the different and again that that whole concept of the wish and the goal um really opened my eyes so the goals that keep you moving forward is really the first chapter in in the get set part of the mm-hmm. book and and so I, I what I'm hearing you say is that being specific and putting right. uh, things that can be measured in time or in result is really a key part of that get set piece. It, it really is. What the, there's a very easy way, I think, to 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 know whether or not you're being specific enough, and that is if you can answer the question, "How will I know when I've succeeded?" Right. So, so if you say, "I want to lose some weight," and I say to you, "Well, how will you know when you've succeeded?" And then you realize suddenly, well. I don't know. I mean, what, what's some weight, right? So, right. so it's like it, you need to think about what, how will I know at the moment that I achieve this goal? How will I know that I've achieved it? And, it, and and answering that question forces you to get specific. You know, it forces you to say, well, it'll be when I fit comfortably in my, in my size blank jeans, or it'll be when I weigh X, or you know, I'll know uh, when it, instead of saying I want to get ahead at work. Well, how will you know when you've gotten ahead? What does that look like? Um, I think if you, when you can answer that question, you've become specific enough, and and that's a great place to start because again, your brain doesn't know how to do something with a vague goal. It doesn't know how to ch- achieve a goal like get ahead. You know that. <laughs> because, well, okay, well, what do I do? <laughs> so you know, and it, it's not at all clear what you should do to get ahead. But if you say something like, well, I want to get a promotion in the next twelve months. Okay, well, that's a lot more specific. So now you can start thinking about, well, what what would I need to do realistically to make sure that happens? And yeah. suddenly the actions become more clear. And without without knowing what clear actions you need to take, you know, you're not going anywhere. Again, it's all the ability in the world doesn't help you if you don't know if you haven't really thought about what you have to do. To, know, to right. get the goal, you know, completed. So, so it's a you, you lot of those then also things. about uh, the difference between goals for optimists and pessimists. I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. in hearing that slant on it. So I'm sorry I interrupted. Oh sure, no, I love talking about this stuff. I, uh, you know, the, the goals for optimists and pessimists I thought was important to discuss because there are different. Many of the things I say in the book are true, sort of no matter who you are and what your goal is. Um, there, there, many of the kinds of strategies that I'm, I talk about, like getting specific, you know, is always a good idea, no matter whether you're talking about a short-term goal or a long-term goal or a personal or a professional. Um, that's always a good idea. Then it turns out there are differences between people that actually matter. Uh, in terms of ha- kind of what strategies you should use, and and um, there's a difference. We actually, I'm just actually have a new book coming out next year about this difference because I think it's so important for people to understand. But there's two ways of looking at a goal that we call either looking at it with a promotion focus or a prevention focus. The basic idea is we approach our goals either thinking about what we have to gain if we reach the goal, or what we might lose if we don't reach the goal. And those two different ways of thinking. So you could say, you know, if I if I get an A in this class, or if I get a you know if I get a promotion at work, I'm I will I will feel great about myself, and I'll be so proud, and I'll, and and you know all these wonderful things will happen. Or you can think, well, if I don't get that promotion, or I don't get that A, then all of these bad things will happen. And usually, uh, we all do both of those things, but there, we find that people tend to. 
kind of think more of one way than, or, or more of the other. So they tend to see the world as a place where they have opportunities to gain or uh, see the world as a, a place for where there's a lot of potential for loss. And so if you see the world, if you're promotion-focused and you see the world as having lots of opportunities for gain, then usually you kind of think about your goals in terms of you know advancements, uh, hopes, wishes, aspirations. When you think about your goal, when you're more concerned with losses, you're prevention-focused, you tend to be more focused on safety, security, um, uh, fulfilling responsibilities. You think more about what you do as a as a, doing what you should do, uh, avoiding mistakes. And it turns out that depending on which kind of person you are, um, different strategies will work for you. So if you are promotion-focused, for example, you think about the world in terms of gain, then being optimistic, right, believing that things are going to work out is very motivating for you. So the more optimistic you feel, the more psyched up you get, the more motivated and the more effective you are. It turns out that prevention-focused people who are kind of more of the worriers, the ones who are concerned with safety, they 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 don't like being optimistic. And in fact, we know now that that feeling optimistic feels wrong to them because it feels it feels naive, it feels irresponsible. And they in fact work better when they are not pessimistic, but what we what we call defensively pessimistic, which is not believing things won't work out, but believing right. things might not work out and and therefore I need to take action to make sure they do. And they call themselves realists for that. And they call themselves realists. And and when you try to, and the the thing is, what I think is so eye opening about this is that you're if you are one of those people, and your whole life you've had all these people telling you to cheer up and be an optimist and look on the bright side of things, and you've resisted that. I mean, if you know people like this, you know that they <laughs> they they just they hate it when you say that. You know, they, and 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 if you're if you're one of those people, you know that you've been right all along because that doesn't work for you. Because when when you feel what happens is is that when you're that kind of person and you kind of think about things in terms of not making mistakes and making sure everything goes right, and you start to be optimistic, you start to relax. Like, oh, okay, I think everything will be fine. And that actually saps your motivation. So you're more vigilant if you're actually a little bit nervous about how things will work out. And and so, it, you know, one of the things I talk about in that chapter and in the new book that's going to come out called Focus is really how to embrace the strategies that work for you. And if something feels wrong, you know, if it feels wrong to you to be uh, to be optimistic, there might be a really good reason for that because maybe right. that's not how you work best. Um, and, and similarly, if you're a promotion-focused person and, you know, everyone's telling you to be a realist and you're kind of resisting that, then there's a reason for that too because exactly. you work best when you're an optimist. That and so and I think that's and, and really my husband important. and I are on opposite sides of this. Do you know couples often are? Um, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it's great. We have come closer together in 22 years, uh, you know, and obviously in multiple mm-hmm. ways. But but in that particular thing, but I never thought about the comfort that it gives them, you know, to have that perspective. I really didn't, yeah. and, and so it actually can still make them happy to, to be pessimistic. Yeah, it can make them because they feel there's it. It feels right, you know. There's a there's a and and that feeling of rightness, like you know, Mm -hmm. is 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 just as important as as sort of feeling, you know, it feels 
good to be an optimist. But if you're prevention-focused, it feels right to be a pessimist. Exactly. And, and, so, and it actually does work for them. You know, it exactly. works for them. So once you get ready and you know where you're going and you've figured mm-hmm. out where your goals are coming from, you've you've gotten yourself set and you've set measurable goals that you'll be able to recognize Mm-hmm. And you've recognized that we don't all process the same way, and your uh, decisions do impact other people, so you've got to be aware. <laughs> and right. it's the right goal for you, the right goal for them. So now it's time to go. And we have all run into this uh, the topic of this next chapter, and that is conquer the goal saboteur. And, I mean, we've just talked mm-hmm. about what happens when we've got uh, the optimist and the pessimist. And right. in most households, and we'll I'll come back to the weight thing for a minute. So, yeah, my husband and I both decide we need to do this. He will remind me that I haven't taken a walk today. And I think, you know, how much more uh, productive it would be if he'd just say, let's go for a walk together, right? <laughs> or right. we agree we're going to lose weight, and then he comes home with, you know, two bottles of, of a, a great Merlot that we've been wanting to try. And, you know, and I know that that's my weakness, and that's the mm-hmm. saboteur of my weight loss goal. So so how do we conquer the goal saboteur? Well, you know, there there are several. I think the first the first step to to rec- to conquering goal saboteurs is to recognize what they what they are, um, and 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 there there are several, and and some of them are surprising. One of the things that I talk about uh, in the in in that that part of the book is sort of the, the two of the big boogeymen for goals are are not deciding what the specific actions we need to take are and then missing opportunities to take those actions. So so for example, if you have the goal of weight loss, most of us make a plan to lose weight that basically looks like um this. I'll eat less and I'll exercise more. And then you feel like you've just made a plan, right? Because <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I mean, we all know that's what you need to do, right? Except you have, well, I guess technically it's a plan, but it's a terrible plan because you haven't, you know, eat less of what and, and how much less. And, and then what are you going to eat instead? And, and what does exercise more mean? How, how much more? When? Where? How, what are you going to do? This is the step that we don't, many of us don't intuitively take. And mm-hmm. and we and the problem is that if you don't break down your goal into the literal behaviors that you're going to need to do in order to reach it, then you're probably not going to reach the goal. Uh, you know, part of why people on The Biggest Loser are so successful at losing weight is that the entire experience on The Biggest Loser is about breaking down. I mean, there's several things going on. You know, obviously they have expert help, which is a wonderful thing. Um, you know, they're secluded. They don't have to juggle multiple goals because all they have to focus on is their weight loss, and that's that's another great benefit. But but prime, one of the major things that happens is they're extremely regimented. Right? So they know they have food plans. They know exactly yeah. what they're going to put in their mouth every day. They know exactly how much exercise. They have workout plans. And so, so the behaviors get really clearly spelled out. We, you know, when, when you make it, your your action plan vague what happens is that you're you're at, you're asking a lot of your willpower right because you're saying well I'll, I'll be good that's another thing people say all the time well I'll we'll, we'll go out to the restaurant but I'll be good right and and so then you get to the restaurant and being good suddenly becomes I'll have the burger 
with with uh, with uh, and I'll just I'll get a salad instead of fries. In, in, instead of you know knowing before you get in there, you're not going to have a burger, right? <laughs> you're, right? You know, so so being good is relative, and it and that's a problem. So so we need to to start by saying you know these are the things that I you know and and this is part of why Weight Watchers is one of the more effective diet plans because it encourages people to both get very specific about what they're eating and also to monitor regularly what they're doing. And those two right. things alone actually are, are very, very helpful. So so you need to really think about, like, well, what does exercise more mean? And one of the, the strategies I talk about in the book that turns out to be just incredibly successful is if-then planning. If-then planning is this incredibly, I mean, it's still, I still sort of pinch myself that this works as well as it does because it sounds so simple. What you do is you decide in advance uh, how what you're going to do and when and where you're going to do it. And this solves both of those major problems I talked about, right? Not deciding what, you, what to do right. and missing opportunities to act. So you decide when you're going to do it. And, and so let me just give you one example that I think is amazing. The, the one study looked at uh, people who wanted to exercise regularly but currently did not. And, and they gave them memberships at a gym. And they took half the people, and these are people that all really wanted to exercise regularly, but they weren't doing it, and they gave them memberships to the gym. And half of the people, they said, okay, tell me when and where you're going to exercise each week. And they could say whatever they wanted. So they would say, well, I'm, you know, I'll exercise at the gym, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm, I'm going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 a.m., or I'm going to go on Tuesdays and on the weekends after work. Or I'm going to, you know, they could say whatever they wanted right. to. they make any kind of plan they want. Two months later, they go back. Right? The other people didn't make a plan. Two months later, they go back. 32% of the people who didn't make a plan are still exercising two months later. 91% of the people who made a plan are still exercising two hmm. months later. So it, this is what we find over and over again, that the simple act of deciding when and where you're going to do something usually doubles or triples the likelihood of reaching your goal. Um, we have similar studies with uh, women wanting to do breast self-examination monthly. You know, right. that's something that a lot of us want to do and we forget. So similarly, they took a group of women who all wanted to remember to do it. Half of them, they said, okay, when, you know, when and where are you going to do your breast self-exam next month? They could say whatever they wanted. They went home. They didn't, by the way, write it down on a piece of paper or anything. They just right. made a plan. And then they checked in with them. And the next month, 51% of the ones who didn't make a plan remembered to do it. 100% of the ones who made a plan remembered to do it. It is this, I mean, it's just insanely, It's ins- and, and I will say, actually, I lost 50 pounds after my, I had, uh, I have two children, and uh, and when I uh, had my first, my daughter, I, like many women, gained quite a bit of weight, more than right. certainly my doctor wanted me to, and I, I you know, didn't, it didn't all come off. And then I had my son, and I was on uh, about, you know, two years later, and I was on uh bed rest for for much of that pregnancy and wow there's nothing like bed rest for putting the pounds on because all you can really do is sit and eat (laughs) so uh so i was um uh when after he was born um i was quite a bit overweight and i've lost uh 50 pounds good and interestingly I lost that. I didn't lose the pounds right away i uh i was stayed at that weight for a while and then i started writing the book and uh, it occurred to me <laughs> as I was writing the book that I was not, in fact, using any of the advice that I was giving. And I oh, thought, wow. well, huh, you know, I should 
be able to use this on myself because, the, you know, it's sort of like the doctor that smokes. Psychologists often know things that we don't bother to put into practice <laughs> in our own lives. So uh, so I, I started using if-then planning. It was one of the major techniques that I used to both decide what I needed to do to lose weight and also to resist temptation. One of the most effective ways to resist doing something, whether it's eating a donut or losing your temper or any of those impulses that we want to try to control, one of the most effective ways we found for dealing with that is to make an if-then plan for what you're going to do instead. So when I feel the urge to lose my temper, then instead I will count to 10 or whatever works for you. If I feel the urge to smoke, then I will step outside and breathe deeply and say I'm not a smoker. Or, you know, when I feel the urge to have a donut, then I will have, you know, and and be very specific about what exactly you will have instead. And and when people do that, they are about three times more likely to actually effectively resist temptation. It really sort of, it's basically reducing the need for willpower. You're you're kind of, because it it doesn't, once you've already decided what you're going to do, it doesn't take as much willpower to actually do it. Whereas if you haven't decided how you're going to handle it, then you're sitting there kind of having an argument with yourself. Do I have the donut? Do I not have the donut? And the donut wins when you have that argument with yourself. You know, all the time. There is a very interesting site. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Change Anything. Dot com. And oh, yeah, it, I know. I'm familiar with the book. Um, yeah, so I they, that... they they built the site, actually, I think, before the book was, was published. And, and mm-hmm. I had run across them a couple of years ago uh, because I think, you know, we were looking to interview the author. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, But it's exactly the things that you've talked about. It, it breaks yeah. things down into tasks. The only piece that's missing <laughs> for me, and, and again, this is maybe my crutch, is mm-hmm. is that the accountability piece of it isn't strong enough. And, you know, I would like to be able to turn on a high accountability flag that says if I don't come to this you know, application, whether it's on my iPhone and the same thing for mm-hmm. Weight Watchers, if I don't log something, I want you to come and, and like, in all caps, you know, yell at me, yes. don't forget, don't forget to do this, because we've got all these amazing tools now. And it's still that accountability piece. So, um, yeah, we're, I, you know, we're, it's, it's, uh, running a, a little bit low on time. You mentioned that I now I'm advising a few different sorts of companies who are trying to use, take advantage of you know apps and and for goal reaching right. and, and and social media and how how we can use that. And one of the things that I've been screaming over at every single person you know company that approaches me is could you please send reminders because it's right. you know we do have you know it's like you have this wonderful technology and then but we're all busy we're all really right. busy and you know a lot of times you're you're having to force yourself to come back to this website to do something that you're kind of having a hard time doing usually because you're a little bit ambivalent about it i mean dieting right. isn't that much fun you know and so it's like bring it to bring make it easier Make it right. make it so that I I get this in my inbox. Make it so that my 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 smartphone buzzes and right. says, "Don't forget," you know. And exactly. and so it's you know a lot of us need that help because we are so uh, we are so overextended. Um, we we are juggling so many goals at once. And uh, and and so to focus on that goal, it, you know, it, it, often it, it takes it takes effort, and and we're exhausted. You know, one of the things in the willpower chapter that I talk about is is that you know we tend to think of willpower as something we use to say not eat the donut or not have a cigarette, but uh, if you, but if you're trying to quit smoking, but willpower is actually something we use all day long. 
We use it every time that we're stressed. We use it every time we're making a decision. We use it every time we're trying to make a good impression. Right. It's actually a resource that is being used constantly all day long. You're you're putting out fires. It's the, you know the reason happy hour exists is because <laughs> most of us at by five o'clock have no willpower left. I mean we've just burned <laughs> out the resource, you know. So it suddenly seems right. like a good time for you know cocktails and wings. And and I think that when we make when we allow our goals to depend so heavily on willpower. Um, we're asking for trouble because right. because your willpower is a limited resource. Even if you have a lot of it, you know, I think you look at cases like like Oprah or like um, President Obama when he was smoking. I believe he's not now, but but you know, one doesn't really know. But I mean, let's right. just say for the, for for the, for the sake of the argument that he isn't smoking anymore, but he was, and certainly t- talked about the difficulty he had quitting. Now, if you look at someone like Oprah Winfrey or or Barack Obama, these are clearly people with boatloads of self-control. I mean, you don't get to be somebody in that kind of with that kind of success and that kind of power if you don't have in- extraordinary reserves of willpower and self-control. The problem is that you spend it. And you spend it on right. what's most important to you. In the case of those two individuals, that you know, their their professional lives. And there isn't anything left at the end of the day, to keep you from reaching for the French fries or to keep you from reaching for the pack of cigarettes. So even people with lots of willpower, you know, they they use it up. And so we need to find, if you really want to sort of tackle a a problem that requires a lot of willpower, you know, it behooves you to find some strategies that diminish your need for willpower. And that's one of these things that that if-then planning is one of the examples I give in the book of a strategy that really seems to work. You know, we've tested it actually under circumstances where we kind of really sap people of their willpower. We make them do a bunch of horrible things. They have very little willpower left, and then we, we see if they can resist temptation with an if-then plan, and they can. So mm-hmm. so it's a lot of the what I try to bring people in the book are these strategies that, you know, we're all in the same boat, and a lot of us have the same saboteurs. And, and what you need is to be sort of equipped with some strategies that will actually – you know, instead of just you know, every 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 New Year's, right? We all make the resolution to lose weight and, right. and to to do several things. And usually, usually the, the classic things are willpower and and stop smoking. You know, are losing weight and stopping smoking. And 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 you know, we every year we resolve to do these things again, but we don't usually bring any new tools to the game. Right. And so we fail again <laughs> after about a month um, because you know we weren't we weren't you weren't really trying you, you know we just say to ourselves this time I mean it well meaning it isn't enough you know that unfortunately right. there's um, there's some great studies that that show kind of looking across studies that um, that you know we we often think when when we when we fail to reach a goal that we just weren't committed enough and actually what we now know is that while commitment is very important. It's necessary, as a philosopher would say, necessary but not sufficient. So we find that that across studies, about 50 to 80% of the time, depending on the kind of thing you're talking about, we have plenty of commitment and we fail anyway. So the problem isn't that you don't want it badly enough. The problem is that wanting it enough isn't enough. Uh, and and so we need some other kind of you know tricks up our sleeve in order to get past some of these problems, and that's what I hope people get from the book. Some of these oh, other absolutely. strategies, absolutely. And, and Heidi, the book is is 
so so practical, and I wish we had time, uh, you know, to go uh, more in detail on on the last four chapters. But I'll I'll just uh, give these as a teaser uh, to our listeners. Uh, chapter ten is about building the self control muscle keeping it real, knowing when to hang on and giving the right feedback. And while we've talked a lot about dieting today, you know, this is not a book about dieting. This is a book about the tools to succeed. And and Heidi, I'm so glad that you were able to join us. And again, Heidi's book is, is Succeed, How We Can Reach Our Goals. It is available on the Executive Girlfriends Group book site and through all of the normal channels, Amazon, etc. Heidi, uh, can you let our listeners know Mm -hmm. uh, just in this last minute or so how they can reach you if they would like to explore perhaps having you speak at an event? Oh, um, certainly. Uh, I have a website. It's it's my name. It's www.heidegranthalverson.com. On that website, I, I post, I blog for a lot of places, so I'm a blogger at uh, Harvard Business Review and Forbes Women and uh, Huffington Post, and I always cross-post all my writing there, so if you want to find all my writing in one place, you can go there. Uh, and uh, I, for speaking, there's also a link to, to my speaking agent that you can find, um, and there's just all kinds of other, you know, I, I write regularly about new advances in motivation, uh, and you can find out about, I have a, another uh, short ebook called Nine Things Successful People Do Differently, so you can find out um, more about that there as well. And uh, and you can also contact me. I have a free newsletter, um, so feel free to sign up for that, and please do reach out uh, anytime. My, my uh, email is there as well. You can contact me through the site. So thank you so much. Well, you've taught us a lot just in in this uh, half an hour, 40 minutes or so about the science of success. And, uh, you know, I have certainly learned a lot about those things that uh, sabotage from within, uh, those things that (laughs) sabotage from outside and, and some really, really practical things uh, to do to change uh, those things that I haven't been able to get a handle on, and and uh, I, I like I said, I mean I could I could go on for a long time as I know you could Most uh, to of us talk can, yeah. about more specifics, <laughs> but but thank you so much, Heidi, for joining us, and I hope you have a super weekend. Hello. Yes. Oh, sorry, it cut out for a second. <laughs> oh no, I <laughs> was just saying uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I just hope you have a terrific weekend. Thank you so much. You too. Okay, terrific. And for more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thanks for joining us.